Hi friends, thanks for tuning in to In Other News, a random podcast about stuff. The kind of stuff you think about every day. Or at least some days. Here's the setup. Once upon a time, three young guys worked together to deliver news and weather from a local TV station. Today, they're a little older, a little wiser, and they're back to discuss the things that really matter. And a few things that don't. Thanks for listening. Now here's Axel, Joe, and Adam. Hey everyone, welcome to In Other News with Axel, Joe, and Adam. We're excited that you have uh, tuned in to listen in to us this week. Uh, and uh, we have a great lineup of topics that we're going to cover tonight. Uh, Axel, Joe, how are you guys? Great. Good, how are you? Pretty we good. We came back. Yeah. yeah that's, back for another round. That's, uh, yeah, it only took us, what, a couple weeks in between, so... Uh, this will be a very regular podcast, I guess. Uh, so we were, we were having a debate before we went, uh, I'm using air quotes, on air here about it's it's starting to get colder. At what point do you turn on your furnace? Do you guys, have you guys figured that out in your house yet? Axel, you're, you're on the know. Maybe December is when you're thinking. I'm thinking my house is 64 degrees right now. If I can push it down to 59, 58 with my wife's approval, I will be a lucky man, but I have a feeling by tomorrow night, I will ha- have uh, face a heavy, heavy criticism for that decision. Doesn't hypothermia set in at some point down at those temps? Oh, there's always another blanket, another sweater. Joe, what about uh, what about you? So we've done this a couple ways before, and I try to hold off as long as I can. It'd be great to hold off to Halloween, but when it gets down to about... Uh, uh, 64 in the house, then we start to have the conversation. When it gets down to 62, when it gets down to 62, then we uh, then we really have some problems. And then uh, I've had it as low when I was a single guy down to 60, and that's too cold for me. Once it hits 60, I need to I need to turn on the heat. 60 is pretty cold. 60 is pretty cold. We had a minor technical issue there for their, that little bit of pause. Uh, uh, I was trying to mute Joe's mic from afar, huh. but uh, I think we got it figured out. We're, we're new to this, so uh, give us some grace. Uh, in the Braze house, we cheat. We turn on the fireplace, and that uh, the fireplace can heat up the house to 72 degrees. Uh, and nice. We don't need to put the furnace on, but it's probably cheaper to run the furnace than it is to run the fireplace at this rate, so... So I think some go. of this relates, though, to uh, it all depends on how cool you set your AC in the summer to get you ready for the transition. My summertime temperature is 64 in the house already, so oh, now man. it's 64 naturally, so I can go down a ways before I get cold. 64 with the AC, that's you are an energy guzzler. No wonder you need solar down there. Possibly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, gentlemen, uh, we have a great selection of topics tonight, and and the first one uh, that I have here is I, you know, I work in the in the business of trying to figure out what's going on in the world and how that impacts others. And um, and the other day, actually, this was about a month and a half ago, I came across this survey. It was from NBC and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, two reputable 
for maybe one reputable news organization. But um, but this survey, uh, it was the first time I'd seen anything like that. And I've worked with surveys for the better part of two decades. And here's the headline on this. It says, poll, 80% of voters say things are out of control in the United States. 80%. So first, first question is, if if you guys were if you guys had a survey right now and you were asked, uh, does it seem under control or out of control? How would you have voted in this poll? I would say things are not out of control. What's out of control is how we perceive things and talk about them to others. Mm, that's an excellent point. I would have said that things are on the edge of out of control, but I'm sure they have been more out of control in the past than this. Yeah, I, my first struggle with this survey is I really didn't know what out of control meant, but uh, it says uh, eight out of 10 voters believe that things are out of control in the United States with majority still concerned about the spread of coronavirus, pessimistic about the economy's return to normal, um, and then, of course, there's an election uh, coming up this fall. Out of control. That's America in 2020, said one of the pollsters uh, who participated in this survey. It's one of the few things that Americans can agree upon and one of the findings that uh, we can definitely state given the tumultuant and torment of the last 12 days. So this poll was back, I guess it occurred at the end of June is when they took the poll. And there were a few things happening, including in our home state. Um, but 80% of voters feel that things are generally out of control. It kind of makes you wonder about this 15% who believe things are under control, uh, given the circumstances <laughs> that we had there. But here's my question. So what does it take to get things back under control? I think the circumstances have to be such that you don't feel things like fear or you know your life being threatened not in a physical way but your well-being your happiness if all those things are out of whack you quickly perceive it as being out of control when in reality you probably just have to sit down think it through and figure out that you can still control much of it it's it's in your hands how you perceive it yeah, exactly. How you frame the situation, um, taking a look at it, thinking of a time that things were truly out of control in your life and comparing it to yeah, your current circumstances. I agree with Axel that if you can frame it in such a way about, okay, I have no control over the wildfires in California. What I do have control over is how I react to wildfires in California or turmoil in our cities or um, just the election in general. So yeah, going through what you are able to control will hopefully give you some perspective on what you can't control and what you just give up um, and let, let the world take care of itself. Have you guys heard about this uh, running joke this year where people talk about, you know, something new, horrible or unbelievable is happening, let's say, like wildfires, pandemic, uh, jumping worms, um, murder hornets, some, what were the, the murder hornets. Oh, yeah. And then people say, you know, have you had that on your, on your bingo card for September or for May and whatnot? It's all <laughs> funny and it's great and funny for a conversation, 
but in your mind you you just you build up this idea that this whole year is out of control when it's not we could have had a bingo card last year too That's... it's just that we 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 start threading this all together by choice and of course then it looks bad <laughs> in in the in the work that i do we we try to um assess what's what's changing what's happening now and into the future and one of the uh, key changes that we've deemed you know occurring in 2020 over previous years is this sense of safety and security how almost every decision that you're making uh, in any environment you're assessing is this a safe environment to be in do i feel secure in and you can imagine what that does to a consumer's psyche is you're trying to make really hundreds of those kind of decisions on a daily basis in some uh, cases. I think it's exhausting for, for many people. Um, and and that's, that's one of the biggest drivers, I think, uh, that's changed consumer behavior this past year. That and then the idea as to whether you want to control it or trust others to control it. And I think this year especially... We're moving into this, I'm freaking out. I need to control my own fate. I don't necessarily trust others to keep me safe, whether that's the government or police or health health authorities. So it's sort of like a re, like retreating into our own, to use our own powers, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. Are we being the victims of the incentives for clicks on news? So if it's a murder hornet, let's get a click. If it's a fire, let's get a click. If it's a whatever calamity you can think of, let's make it a click. And then let's be able to post it to people's Facebook timelines or Twitter feeds. So then it just looks like a string of stuff. Conspiracy theorist Joe. (laughs) Yeah, I'll put my tinfoil hat on, but... Really, it's right now the the it's you are kind of incentivized to create news that generates clicks in order to generate revenue for your organization. So, um, well, it's so what? Go ahead. What can we do with this podcast to generate clicks? <laughs> Should we invite a murder hornet expert? That on? would work. Uh, talk about gender reveals and the uh, the uh, <laughs> calamities they have caused. We can have an expert come in on that. Yep. Joe, you had sage commentary on the gender reveal uh, front. Would you mind uh, providing your commentary? Sure. Uh, the last gender reveal event I attended was one where the doctor uh, cut uh, a baby out of my wife's womb and said, it's a boy. Congratulations. You are a father. This is your son. Um, there were no ex- the hospital did not start on fire. No, right? there were no, no blue smoke, no explosions, <laughs> no any frills or anything like that. Still just as memorable uh, for me uh, in the long run. Well, guys, I always go back. And I think I've said it probably five times on this podcast even though this is only our third episode. <laughs> second, <laughs> second that second, I'll ever see the second. light of day. All right. Um, the, to me, you know, we talk about media, but I keep saying that social media and how it's being used and misused to me is the biggest problem of all because going back to the murder hornets, in the old days, I would have read about it and I would have said, huh, and I would tell my wife about it. But these days you read about hurt murder hornets 
10,000 different ways because everybody has to share it with their friends and their whatever they're part of, whatever feed they're part of. And so then you build up this idea that the murder hornets are just dominating life right now when they're not. So, well, let's face it, the murder hornets do have good branding. I mean, yeah, that's true. you know, if you're going to be a scary hornet, call yourself a murder hornet and, and that's going to break through. I mean, <laughs> people don't like hornets anyway, but then murder hornets, I don't want to go anywhere near those. And they're like two and a half inches long. Yeah. That's... Well, it sounds like they're being replaced now by these jumping worms, right? That I heard about just the other day. <laughs> Yeah, it's a jumping worm. I'll take a jumping worm any day over a murder hornet. <laughs> They've been around for a while, all the jumping worms. If you take, uh, if you visit our county compost site, they have signs up there. I've had signs for the past year about yeah, the, beware jumping, the worms. jumping worms. So make sure you're not seriously. I didn't know that. Yep. Huh. Yeah. Well, so I think jumping worms, murder hornets. It is a little bit of proof that maybe things are slightly out of control in 2020, but. Uh, to follow Axel's advice, we need to think critically uh, before we panic. Um, speaking of thinking critically, uh, next we're going to have Joe uh, talk to us about screen time. So we'll be back in just a second. <music> All right, fellas, uh, I've got a topic for us to discuss. It is screen time. Uh, it can be a controversial topic, and I'd say that uh, it's a struggle for, for many parents these days. I mean, screens are just everywhere. Even refrigerators now have screens built into them. Um, with distance learning taking place during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, kids are just on screens as much now, if not more than ever. So... I was curious if you guys, as parents, are aware of what the recommendations are for screen time from the World Health Organization and the American Academy of Pediatrics. So, um, Adam, if, if there's a recommended amount of screen time that those organizations say, what is the recommended amount for? And this is for kids age five and younger. Oh, I thought you were going to, I thought I was going to get an easy question like, uh, you know, no screens for children under two. Is that, am I uh, close? Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, that's close. That's okay. Close. So now you want me to say five, under five? Age under five. I think they're supposed to get, I think they're supposed to get under an hour okay. a day. Uh, Axel, what's your guess? If screen time includes uh, everything you mentioned, so TV, computer, that sort of thing, I'm going to say two hours or less. Okay. Well, so it depends on which organization you're talking to. So the American, of course, so yeah, the American Academy of Pediatrics say that one hour a day uh, from ages two to five is no more than that. If you're age two, but what if it's educational? Well, sure. What about yeah. apps that are sure, educational? Everyone watched the Baby Einstein videos back in the day as youngsters, but uh, <laughs> if you ask these groups that age two and under. The uh, American Academy of Pediatrics say it's not recommended, but then the World Health Organization says if you have a kid who is, you know, w under the uh, one year, zero screen time, none, nothing. Uh, ages one to two, it's not recommended for them either, but an hour uh, is, is the most that they want to see kids ages two to five to have. 
And I can say, I mean, this is a no judgment zone. And we, but who will babysit exactly. these children if it isn't the screen? <laughs> exactly. You mean I have to interact with these children? Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, like I said, there's no judgment. We we don't have all the answers about what's best for everyone's kid. Uh, I can say that uh, times are much different now than when I was growing up, and likely when both of you were growing up as well. Um, it's not a reflection on my parents in any way, but it was a different time. And I know I clearly exceeded the uh, World Health Organization and the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations when I was growing up. And you probably only had one TV channel, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, we when I was growing up, we only had one. I think we only received one TV channel. That was CBS. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it's funny you say that, Adam. Back home in Germany, it was just about the same. We had maybe six channels. And one way I could extend screen time was, so I, I had 30 minutes usually as a, as a young kid, but I was able to extend screen time if I volunteered to be the channel switcher in the days before there were remotes. <laughs> and I would stand there and my dad would say, all right, change the channel, change the channel. And I would just stand there and push the buttons on the TV. That is the only way I was allowed to watch more. <laughs> you were the human remote control. I was the human remote control. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we had a little bit more than one channel growing up. My grandparents, though, they had one channel. It was CBS, and then they eventually got two channels when I was in my uh, early uh, preteens. And then they just jumped the shark and went straight for the big satellite dish that you put in the yard, the big 16-foot jumbo oh, yeah. ones where you could pull in all these unscrambled channels back in the day. And that worked for a few years for them until the satellite companies got wise that you need to scramble that stuff. But for me, growing up in Wisconsin, our my hometown's built on a hill. We we're on the south side of town, so we and we had a rotor on our antenna, so we could pick up Madison, wow. Dubuque, Chicago, Rockford, Man. sometimes Milwaukee if the atmosphere was you right. You guys were spoiled. Yeah, lots of channels, lots of choices. Uh, I was probably the first one to turn the TV on in the morning, and might have been the last one to turn it off at night too. So, um, like I said. The, uh, to you guys before we started that that much tv i can say i was studying my future career in tv by watching that much tv as a youth uh, <laughs> college what was your favorite show joe oh it, it's hard to say pick a pick a time frame i mean uh as a you know six seven year old eight year old it was emergency uh, you remember that show Ooh, that was good yeah. uh when did Dukes of Hazard was, come in? You you probably watched Dukes of Hazard, yeah, right? Dukes? Yeah, oh, I did. I, I, I watched Back. that probably, what, 10, 11, 12-year-old range? Yeah, probably. Axel, did you ever see that show? Great American show? I have not. I have not seen most iconic American oh. shows for some reason. But I tell you what, I uh, it was one thing to get cable back home in Germany, but the bigger thing was to get cable and then get the American the iconic american tv shows such as wheel of fortune i could not wait till that show would come to germany or oh, the yeah. price is right because it was this american thing where people could win five cars in a half hour and <laughs> you know and so that was the really big accomplishment to get those channels with those shows <laughs> only in america can you win five cars <laughs> in a half hour that's the american dream exactly exactly <laughs> I'm sure it probably skewed your view of America too. Once, uh, once you were seeing this at home, and then once you got here, you thought everyone ate six T-bone steaks for dinner after watching Dallas or uh, 
you know, all drove Cadillacs. Something like that. So. <laughs> and then certain, certain, you know, certain shows would come over there, but they would be considered controversial, like um, The Simpsons or even The Golden Girls. And so they, they would place <laughs> these shows. I remember when Simpsons came out and Golden Girls in Germany, which was about maybe two years after it started in Amer here in America, they would place these shows, like, say, at 11 p.m. on a Friday night because they were so, so different and so not, maybe not offensive, but something that was just unheard of on German TV airwaves. So let's start it out at 11 p.m. on Friday night. But, you know, within a year, they became so popular, it turned into primetime TV, too. So where did they place Benny Hill? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that ever made it over there. Was he like the 1 a.m. slot? <laughs> Something like that, probably. <laughs> uh, well, how do you guys manage screen time now for your youngsters? Uh, it's got to be a battle like it is in this household. Yeah. How many hours do we have in this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just, in, in fact, we just talked about it at dinner, at dinner time because my kids are increasingly getting into their iPads and my almost 10 year old now has a laptop. And uh, so, you know, not, she uses it not only to do certain games, but she's starting to type and explore document creation, researching and all that. So I talked to my wife about, you know, what, what does that count as screen time that we don't like? How do we control it? And we had over the summer, we had a pretty um, standard rule of that you had to earn your screen time, any screen time by reading a paper book. And so then that worked really well. Kids just, they, they read like they've never be, had before. Because I also had a rule that you had to read at least 15 minutes to earn 15 minutes of uh, screen time. So they would do that all the time. And then <laughs> when we purchased the treadmill a few weeks ago, I added the idea that they could earn um, additional screen time by working out. And so on day one, my six-year-old put in two miles on the treadmill so that he could read another or have another half hour of screen time. So it was perfect. Now that school starts, I'm not sure. We'll have to somehow clamp down on it. For one thing, they probably won't have enough time. But to your point, Joe, earlier, um, you know, I, I'm mainly talking about my almost 10-year-old, my six-year-old, but I also have a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And how do you keep them away from, you know, when the big siblings watch TV, how do you... you you can't lock them out of the room, yet you don't want them to watch everything that the older ones watch. And I've definitely noticed how you get more and more lax the more kids you have in play because you just can't control it. So it's a bit of a gamble, but it's fair to say that any of these guidelines, we are way past them at this point. How about you, so, Adam? I, just full full disclosure, uh, I'm I may be violating screen time rules right now because I have you guys on a video chat next to you. I have the twins game going, and then I have two other screens with like <laughs> information and questions. So uh, whatever the time is that we're here times four is what my screen time is going to be for today. But uh, so we we have I tried about fifty seven different formats for managing screen time. the The latest format that we've had for a couple of years is. Um, use this device called circle and you can associate it's an internet filter with screen time limits. So you associate the kids devices with it. You can set up profiles for them and then you set limits on, you know, basically how much uh, internet use uh, they, they, they can have. And then it just cuts it off and you can, you know, you can stop 
you can set like 30 minutes YouTube time, but it might be three hours in a, in a day that they might have internet time. Um, our older ones are, they figured out the way around that, like just to jump devices that are associated with someone else, uh, you know, like watch TV when you run out of your own screen time. Um, uh, but yeah, generally about every mm, every quarter we re revisit and change the screen time rules just because we like to create headaches for our children. <laughs> Keep them on their toes and uh, have them have them guessing. I think though the hardest part the hardest part has been what are my own screen time limits? Because you know when I look at the data I'm consuming, like ooh man, you know I should probably set some limits for myself. And how can I expect them to have limits when I don't have limits? And, Oh, that's just a vicious cycle. So um, it's it there. There isn't a good answer, I think, to the question. There probably is, but it's not one that I'm willing to answer. <laughs> I completely uh, feel what you're going through there too. Uh, fortunately, we just have the one son. Uh, he he balances screen time with not screen time, and it's usually pretty equal balance there. Um, I do. Uh, and usually in that non-screen time, it's either spent reading or doing his chores or stuff like that. Um, there is some screen time that's flexible. Like if he's watching a show with me, uh, uh, you mentioned the Simpsons, Axel, and how they were a late night show <laughs> in Germany. <laughs> After rewatching, you know, all 30 years are now available streaming online. So yeah. my son wanted to start watching that. That used to be a staple for Adam when I lived alone. <laughs> once I got married, The Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, after rewatching it, uh, it is an uh, uh, not irrelevant. It's irreverent. Uh, it's very tongue-in-cheek, very uh, yeah. uh, a bit edgy when you're watching with a 12-year-old. Uh, so <laughs> uh, it should probably be for 14 plus and the... Uh, the mention of showing in Germany after 11 p.m. on a Friday, I can see why now. Uh, so, but anyway, we're don't you hate it when you when you get when you're like, oh, kids, I remember this movie. I remember Christmas Vacation. Oh, it's PG 13. <laughs> hey, gang, let's sit down and have a family Christmas movie. And you get about four minutes in, and you realize like the the terrible mistake that you've made is your kids are like, I can't believe that dad put this on and is letting us watch this. Uh, and you have to like go through the embarrassment of turning it off and saying, well, you know, I watched that when I was your age, but it's not appropriate for you guys nope. now. <laughs> nope, not at all. <laughs> so anyway, um, but uh, actually you also brought a good point too. I remember when Adam and I were doing a diet program that the rule was you had to you could not have more screen time than exercise time. And so in the old days, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like how you call it a diet The program. diet program. <laughs> you, could, you could call it what we really called it, but yeah. maybe not. No, it's, it was a diet program. So uh, yeah, uh, balancing activity with screen time access, that makes great sense. But really, we're not the experts. Uh, everyone's different. Just try and do what's best for your child in your particular situation. And, and no matter what, we're, we're rooting for you. Whatever, whatever you choose, it's, it's going to work out for you and for your child and for your child's situation. Well, that's what I go. love about this podcast that we're developing because, you know, you, you listen to most podcasts and they will give you some sage advice that do this, do that. And 
we just basically throw up our arms and say, whatever, good luck to you. We're, we're behind it's, we're you. We're one of you. We, we struggle with the same things you struggle we with. We're for the people. <laughs> yes. We're not ashamed to admit our mistakes. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks for, thanks for uh, going through that and talking through our, our foibles when it comes to screens. And uh, next up, Axel, he is going to lead us through a diaper discussion. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Joe and Adam, I hope your brains aren't going to start smoking because I will throw a lot of numbers at you. <laughs> oh, man. And you've been, you, I don't know, maybe I mentioned this when we worked together, but I've always had a fascination with numbers ever since I can think back. And it started probably when I was four-year-old and I th- was determined I would be a clock fixer and it only could be clocks with you that know, seems really appropriate for a German by the way maybe so yeah we're punctual right but I I was I remember I was fascinated by you know having this thing that has numbers on it one through 12 and it would just lead me through the day and so I, somehow I developed this affinity for numbers and by the way it's not related to anything I'm nothing with math in fact my 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 math teacher in high school one time told my dad, and I didn't find out about this after until after I graduated, he said, Mr. Gumbel, Axel is very good at many things, but math is not one of them. And I said, that's fine. I don't need to add up things or, or you know, analyze things. I'm just counting. And so I've, I've, I, I, I keep counting things and I do it. I don't know. Sometimes I'm bored. I start counting things. And uh, other times it's just to... Um, keep me safe. So one example, you'll laugh at this, but it's true. A number of years ago, my commute involved about, I don't know, 30 miles or so on a Minnesota state highway. And one time I, I got stranded in the middle of a winter storm and it was between my hometown and the, and the next town over about nine miles over. And I struggled explaining to the, to my family where I was to pick me up. And so the solution I thought was next time I'm going to drive this stretch, I'm going to count the curves. So that if I get struck or stranded again, I can tell them I got into the ditch on curve number four between town A and town B, come get me. And so those are just little examples of things that I count when I was an exchange student um, in, when was that, 1994? Gosh, I'm old. Um, I wrote 564 letters to my parents, handwritten letters that sort of thing. And so to bring this to the present, about uh, 10 years ago, before my first daughter was born, much like any parent, we, uh, my wife and I started reading parenting books. And one thing I noticed that every book predicted a different number of diapers that we would go through until this first child would be um, diaper-free. And I specifically remember I read three different books. The first one predicted 3,000 diapers, the second one predicted 5,000 diapers, and the third one predicted 10,000 diapers. And that just... Actually, I just got to I, I say here, I, I, read, I read Expecting Parent books too, but I never remember any of them saying how many diapers we would Well, that's the thing. You see a number. I, when I see a number, I, I'm just fascinated by it. So that just stuck out. And I was determined to find out for myself. So from the day... My first child was born, I began counting every single diaper that she used. 
And it was very simple. I had a little uh, piece of paper on the changing table. Every time there was a diaper change, I would put a hash mark down, collect it that way. I would, um, when the daycare days started, I, you know, I joke, I said, um, you know, m most husbands come home and say, honey, I'm home. And I would come home and say, honey, how many diapers did we use today? And then my wife would forget sometimes. So I would call the daycare the next day and say, how many diapers did you put on my daughter last yesterday? And they were all good sports about it. Um, but over time, I, I developed sort of an idea what, uh, uh, how many diapers we went through. So to share some results with you, and this is based on, um, well, see about nine years of diaper counting. My yeah, you, you, you've had enough kids now. You, this is probably getting close well, to scientifically yeah. viable, right? It is, but there, there's a twist here I'll share in just a second. I, not even twist, it's more like a tragedy, to be honest. But I can share with you that my first daughter, who's now almost 10, she clocked out at 7,098 diapers. And that was considered high. And I guess, it I don't know what the research is, but apparently first children are always on the higher end because there's no role models to go by. And so that seemed to be true because then my second, my first son, second child, he, he clocked in at 6,404. So about what, uh, six, 700, six, 700 um, diapers less than his bigger sister. And so I thought that was fascinating, right? So it's a, is it a girl boy thing? Is it a first child, second child thing? So I kept counting because I have two more kids who are now uh, four and three. So I kept counting and over time I, I, I converted the count to a digital thing on my cell phone, but then I had to switch cell phones and I almost lost the whole file. So I went back to paper and it was just old fashioned. I went by boxes rather than by per diaper because I figured I could just go to a store, jot down another 110 diapers or however many there are in there now. Um, but then tragedy struck. That sounds a little bit like you got lazy. <laughs> well, maybe that too, but it was just easier too. Rather than doing it every day, I could do it every three weeks or so. Mm -hmm. So I was mighty proud that I did this. And I would share my diaper updates on Facebook. And, you know, people got a kick out of it, Axel, the diaper counter. And um, but then suddenly, this is a tragedy I referred to earlier. Um, it was around January 2019. My one and only sheet that I had with all these numbers on there, it's like what, uh, eight years worth of numbers suddenly disappeared. And I traced it to the fact that my uh, fourth, my second son, fourth child was going through his room, just, you know, like little kids do and ripping stuff up, putting things in the trash because they thought they could do that. And so I concluded that this sheet was lost and my diaper account was effectively done a year and a half ago. Right. So now we're in September 2020. So I just kind of in my head tried to keep up to it, but I didn't have the final numbers because I didn't memorize them, believe it or not. And so I kind of gave up on it, but I was kind of sad about it. And then you um, might be surprised to hear that about, uh, it was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, early August, I was reorganizing my sock drawer and guess what I found? <laughs> what was it doing in there? I don't. I, I had a feeling that I probably stuck it in there in anticipation of my little, you know, baby at the time, not, you know, not trusting that he would keep that sheet of paper on the changing table. So I must have hidden it and not uh, rediscovered it for over a year and a half. 
So I found the sheet and I did a whole bunch of calculations to come close to where we're at for today. And I'm concluding that my, uh, my third child is currently somewhere around 6,100 diapers. And my fourth little guy is currently at somewhere around 4,000 diapers. So in a nutshell, I've come up to about 25,000 diapers. And if you wonder what they cost me, it's actually much cheaper than, than uh, you would think. And actually, I'm gonna have you guess, what do you think I've spent on 25,000 diapers since uh, the last eight years? It's been a while since I bought a box of diapers. So what do they go for? I need a calculator. Uh, what's a diaper? And I should say that we, like... we, we went kind of a, we went for a middle, middle of the pack kind of brand, not, you know, not the super expensive, but also not the super cheap. No Pampers for you? No, you know, I didn't, I never liked the smell. Mm -hmm. We were a Huggies family. I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, eight cents a diaper. So what, uh, 25,000, I don't know. I don't know. What does that equal? I, I'm not a mathematician. Uh, let's see. Joey got a yeah. calculator there. We better figure this so out. So we got eight cents a diaper Hold times 25,000, you're saying? Yeah. That's uh, what? $2,000. Four in there. 2000 yeah. bucks. Yeah, I'll go with that. I, what do you think, Joe? I think it's a little more because the price of diapers varies because they put more in the box. Is it at the start than at the end? And they are, but they're the same price that they charge. So I'm going to say it was probably about, I'll say 2500 but I'm thinking 3000 isn't out of the realm of possibility. Well, you know, it's, uh, I can tell you guys are long gone from the, your diaper days <laughs> because we're, the average we're almost diaper, into buying them again. You might, yeah, <laughs> the average diaper, the average diaper cost per diaper is 20 for us anyways, was 28 and a half cents. Now it's interesting. You, wow. you guys were guessing eight cents and something different to me, 28 and five cents was, was super cheap because on average, we went through maybe, let's say, seven diapers a day in the really heavy days. So you're talking $1.50 to keep my kid dry. That, to me, is uh, so that surprisingly cheap, I will say. So this, so at 25,000 $25, diapers, we're now at about $7,125, which, considering it's four kids, almost done now with the fourth one. So let's say we'll probably get up to, let's say, $7,500. That is quite amazing to me because people and books, especially the books, were predicting a much more dire picture. So, so you were even frugal with the diapers. Your kids we were frugal. Train them, <laughs> train them early. One time I did a test and I concluded that a size four diaper, you can put an entire 20 ounce bottle of water in it and it will not drip. That's so, a test. <laughs> you know, it's 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 useful knowledge. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is that's it, it, yeah. So, I'll keep doing this count just to finish it up. My son is now almost done. He had to be. He just started preschool, and the rule is you had to be um, out of diapers during the day, and we've accomplished that. So now it's just a matter of nighttime. So I think we're probably. In fact, I don't think I have to buy any more boxes. We just bought the last ones a couple of weeks ago. And that may be it. So I will have to find to 
Count something else. Something else to count. Yeah. Yeah, you're just down to the disposable Mm. pull-up nighttime diapers. And yeah, once once that's done, you are a free man. Oh, and I should mention in all these uh, 25,000 diapers, one of them was a cloth diaper. (laughs) And I will never, that, that, I will not do it. I can't do it. No. Yeah, I can't, I, we, we never went there either. Especially when you consider a dollar fifty a day to keep your kit dry compared to, you know, scraping and squeezing out the diapers or whatever you do with the yeah. diapers. Yeah, I don't even want to know what you do with that. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyway, so. It does make me think, though, Axel, we should, we should make you a meme of the count from Sesame Street. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that is the only imitation of an American TV character I can give you. <laughs> Anyways, is your head smoking yet? It, it, it's something. <laughs> that, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, I'm, I, At many right, levels. I'm glad uh, I just had one. I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're done for sure. All right, let's wrap up the number talk. Enough of that. I believe uh, our closing segment will be another lightning round, which is Adam's turn this year, this uh, this one, this time. So we'll take a quick break, and then Adam will take over and close us out. Gentlemen, it's time for lightning round. Let's Are you ready? It. We are. I actually, this is becoming my favorite segment of our podcast. We've done it twice. <laughs> uh, but this is a fun idea, uh, Axel. So, okay. So in lightning round, in case you're new to this, uh, because maybe somebody is new to this, in lightning round, 10 questions is what we have today. We're going to divide it up five each. Uh, I'm going to ask the questions. You guys give first answer off the top of your mind, Okay. And some of these may require a little bit, like Axel, you did a good job. Yours were kind of yes or no, one, you know, one word or something like that. Uh, mine might, you might have to elaborate just a little bit, but not, <laughs> not too much. Okay. So Axel, if the industry you're in didn't exist, what would you do for a living? I have always said that if this industry didn't exist, I would be a nurse. I've said that for many, many years. I love. I love interacting with people and especially when I can help them, whether that's physically or mentally, any of those things would go well in my career, I think. So yes, I would be a nurse. Good. Joe, have you ever had a bad job and what, did you learn anything useful from it? I don't think I've ever had a bad job, but I've learned from every single one. I mean, and I did summer lawn mowing and uh, clean bathrooms at, school for a summer job and stuff like that never had a bad job uh, always learned hard work is important uh, give your best effort um, and good things will come of it axel what was your first apartment like and where did you get your mattress <laughs> great two questions never had an apartment until i came to america and uh so my first apartment was when i started um my studies at the university of minnesota and my first mattress came from a old church that I had gone to six years prior and uh, as part of my exchange year at the time in high school and made some good friends there. So when they heard I was coming back to America, 
to get my college degree, literally one of the first thing they said is, we have a mattress for you. And it wasn't a sale. It was just an old mattress that happened to be in the attic of the church. Aren't you also the guy who bought used mattresses from yes, hotels? I did. That was my second mattress. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> no, but okay. the guy told me the guy told me no one ever booked the room, so I had to trust him, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh man. Uh Joe, have you had your 15 minutes of fame? Yes, I have. Oh, I have to expand on that? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say probably working in uh, small market television where everyone knew you when you were shopping at the grocery store or mm-hmm. out to eat or at the mall that they may not come up to you, but they knew who you were. Yeah. Mr. Celebrity. Axel, what's your favorite children's book? favorite children's book oh that's a good question there are so many i'm trying to think so i guess i'll split the answer because there are german ones and american ones on the german side i liked all the um what do you call that in it's a it's a category of stories i and i'm not sure what the american word is but it's like the uh um the now I don't even know the titles, but it's oh the the uh, the Grimm brothers stories, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that popular in this country or uh, those were just a, a nice set of uh, traditional kid stories that I really liked that I was read uh, as a kid. Here in America, I would say um, I think I liked any of the uh, or I currently still love any of the. Dr. Seuss type rhyming books because they're fun to read. You can, you know, make funny voices with them. And my kids love them too. They're fun to look at. So I guess I'd put it there. Cool. Joe, you just learned they're making a movie about your life and you control the casting. Who should play you? Oh boy. Uh, (laughs) Is it someone who looks like me or acts like me? Because that might be a tough combo there. Um, you control the cat. I'll go Jason Garrett, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He will be playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the look yep. like. Yeah. Yeah. Axel, what fashion trend should we bring back? Oh, my gosh. Corduroy. Corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> Pants, jackets, uh, vests. I'm going to say. Oh, suit. Corduroy suit. <laughs> I don't think I can never succeed with pants, but uh, the suit, why not? Heck, I. <laughs> As a little boy, I had corduroy pants, and uh, I don't know. The suit's not looking too bad. <laughs> Joe, what's the biggest change you've experienced in the last 10 years? So between 2010 and 2020, the biggest change in the past 10 years? Oh, um, hmm. I think you stumped me on this one. Um, probably the... There's a pandemic. Well, you're working from yeah home. that's been changed i didn't know if it was just in general or personal but uh yeah if it's personal it's just the unabated weight gain and uh, time marching on <laughs> if it's just life in general yeah that pandemic kind of put a, a wrinkle into everyone's everyone's life here recently it's been it's been a tough slog it's been tough yeah. not as tough as others have had it but it's definitely been a challenge 
We're almost past it. <laughs> you think? Let's hope so. Axel, <laughs> what's the best thing you've read recently? Oh, let's see. I'm currently reading a book called The Four Hour Body by, uh, let's see, Timothy Ferris, I believe was his name. It's a four hour body. And uh, this actually is recommended by one of our uh, uh, common colleagues here, Lee Acey. Uh, and it's about a guy uh, who has done an extreme amount of research to sort of see if the standard advice on certain things actually lives up to what your body needs or re how it reacts to it. And he's done some really thorough experiments on his own body. Not, and we're not talking crazy things. He's just looking into uh, things like, you know, is the advice on cholesterol really all that it's cracked up to be or blood pressure or, you know, skin this or hair that and whatnot. And it's, it's very, very interesting to the point where you start almost to, um, you know, want to uh, take a, a second look at the standard advice you get, because one of his main arguments is, I guess we could do a podcast on that. <laughs> one of his ma uh, main pieces of, uh, or one of his main findings is that a majority of our current health advice is based on studies that are decades and decades old. And he, he came up with this theory that if and when advice changes, it's based on something that occurred maybe 10 years ago, because science is so slow in adapting to it into a recommendation. But nowadays, we can find out things much faster. So it's very, it's a very fascinating book. And it's a, it's a, it's like a thousand pages. So it's going to take a while to get through it. <laughs> That's, are there lots of pictures? Lots of graphics, lots of pictures, well, not pictures, but you know, like graphs and things. So it's very, it, and it's not meant to be read from beginning to end. You just pick your favorite topic and read up on it. Huh. So interesting. Yeah. Joe, last question. What were you doing exactly one week ago? One week ago. What was one week ago? Exactly one week ago. Last Tuesday in the evening. Last Tuesday. September. Are you looking at, I am looking at my calendar? Last Tuesday, September 1st. Were we recording a podcast? Was that when we we're going to record this podcast? <laughs> we may have had plans to do it and then didn't yeah, do it. Yeah, that's what I was See? thinking. Was that our, our plan to do it? I don't know. Uh, so you were doing nothing? No, I was probably uh, watching TV or looking at my phone or um, <laughs> something very important like that. Um, yeah, waiting for my calendar to pull up. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, if we weren't doing this podcast a week ago, I was probably looking at my phone. <laughs> it seems like a pretty good exactly. answer. 90% <laughs> of the time. When in doubt, go with looking at my phone. <laughs> well, there you go, you guys. You did it. Uh, you, you made it through. It was either that or some sort of uh, uh, personality test that linked you to an animal. Uh, <laughs> so maybe I'll bring that back next time. But uh, thanks, for, thanks for participating. And that... Brings us to the end of this episode. Gentlemen, we did it. We we got another one down. Hey, maybe we should keep doing this. Yeah, so, it's fun. Uh, it's been good to be with you guys. Uh, thanks for listening in, everybody. And until next time, we'll talk Thank to you, you all. later. Yeah, take care. See ya. Bye. Bye.
Thank you.